clean slate, fresh canvas. Did you know it's often suggested that January is named for Janus, the Roman god of beginnings and transitions? This is a new day. You are done with being frustrated with your health. This is the year you get in shape. Haven't you said you want to read more? This year, you're going to read at least 20 books. And you need to spend more time with the people that matter. And call your mom at least once a week. This is the year you write that book. Whatever your resolution, it's going to be great. Goodbye, old you, and hello. Well, that all sounds good until you have that first In-N-Out burger, hit the snooze button, get caught up in a four-season Netflix binge session, let yourself get buried in work, have your mom call missing persons on you, and spend more time writing text insults to your buddy than you do writing your book. Millions of us this morning are deciding what changes to make in the coming year. But research actually shows that 36% of the people will break their New Year's resolutions by the end of January. And then that number jumps to 56% by July. Those statistics come from a 2002 study entitled Old Lang Syne, Success Predictors, Change Processes, and Self-Reported Outcomes of New Year's Resolvers and Non-Resolvers. The study, conducted by John Norcross at the University of Scranton, indicates that approximately 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions, and that when it's all said and done, only 8% of those who do achieve their goals. This is relatively consistent with a 2007 study by Richard Wiseman at the University of Bristol that showed that 88% of those who set New Year's resolutions fail despite the fact that 52% of the study's participants were confident of success at the beginning. And of course, this phenomenon isn't unique to just New Year's. People use all types of external benchmarks to decide that they're going to change, do something different, be someone different. These include birthdays, a new season, a new month, the end of a relationship, an impactful event, or a seemingly throwaway comment made by someone else that to you really hits home. You suck. And the funny slash scary part of this equation is that many people underestimate how hard change will be. Your brain, your habits, your appetite, your addictions, your desires, your environment does not have a light switch with a sign under it that says, please click for instantaneous change. And so while the decision may be immediate, the long-term sustained change that you seek is often much harder. So what is the difference between failing to follow through on your resolution or successfully reaching your goal, accomplishing that change? Well, in the American Psychological Association's annual Stress in America survey, 27% of respondents reported that lack of willpower was the most significant barrier to change. It was, in fact, the number one cited reason for not following through on healthy lifestyle changes. And in my experience, talking to many people about goals, resolutions, and changes, I hear the same story. Willpower, that's the word I'm looking for. Willpower, I got no willpower, that's what it is. Yeah, willpower. This is a new year, a clean slate, a fresh canvas. So if you really want to turn the page 
Paint something new on that blank canvas. Make that change. Reach that resolution. You're going to need to better understand willpower. What is it? And how do you strengthen it? Because if you don't, you'll never ever change. Welcome to Where There Is Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we're talking willpower. What is it and how do you strengthen it? Joining us this week is writer and educator Kelly McGonigal, author of The Willpower Instinct. Plus, we introduce a brand new segment on the show and close out by telling you what we're digging. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. one thing at a time. Right. Like you that. should also set very specific goals. You have to monitor yourself. That's really just as important as setting the goal. You know, get on the scale every day. That's one of the few clinically proven ways for losing weight. Most of the advice people spew out around New Year's on how to achieve your resolutions sounds something like this. Do this. Then do this. Oh, then? Then do this. Then this. Okay, now this. Okay, now do this. Now do this. Now, I work in self-development, and I am a goal-setter, so I've been on both the giving and receiving end of advice like this. And the truth is, while the do-this advice sounds great, it's really not that helpful for most people. One of the reasons for this is that all of this do advice is still being set in motion by your motivation, and often kept in motion by that number one reason people assigned for why they don't achieve their goals willpower. And so if we are going to explore how to successfully achieve a New Year's resolution, or any goal for that matter, it might make sense to start with the element that seems to determine if we sink or we swim. To further explore this key element of success, I reached out to Kelly McGonigal. She's the author of the book, The Willpower Instinct, How Self-Control Works, why it matters, and what you can do to get more of it. She's just the person we need to help us make sense of willpower. I'm Kelly McGonigal. I'm a health psychologist and lecturer at Stanford University. And I think of myself as an expert or pioneer in science health, thinking about how we can apply cutting-edge scientific findings to improving our own health and happiness uh, and strengthening social relationships. I started the conversation with Kelly by asking her to define willpower. The American Psychological Association states that, at its essence, willpower is the ability to resist short-term temptations in order to meet long-term goals. And if you listen to the conversations about New Year's resolutions and change, a lot of them center on how to convince yourself, force yourself, blackmail yourself to do something you don't really want to do. And I think that's how many people have come to think of willpower. The power to will yourself to do something that you really don't want to do. People think of it as brute force. But what if that's wrong? That's such a great place to start. Most people define willpower as the ability to force themselves to do what they don't really want. And I flip that. I define willpower as the ability to make choices that are consistent with your highest goals and values, even when it's hard, uncomfortable, boring, 
scary or some part of you wants to do something else. And I think it's really important to start from that definition because otherwise we end up setting New Year's resolutions that are doomed to fail because we've chosen something that is not consistent with our highest goals and values. It's just something we think we need to fix in order to be a better person. And so if you are someone who has struggled or is struggling and you are saying to yourself, how do I strengthen my willpower? How do I power through? Perhaps first you want to take a step back and check the navigation settings. Dude, where are we going? I don't know. I think the boost broke. What are you working toward? What have you resolved to do? And do those goals and aspirations line up with who you are, how you want to feel, what you want to create? which is very different than what you think you should create, by the way. What actually aligns with your values and what matters to you? If people are really interested in making a change in their career, in their relationships, for their health, it has to be value-driven, that this is what I care about, as opposed to this is an outcome that I want to reach. Now, starting there, with your values and with what matters, that is going to set you up to truly leverage what Kelly calls our willpower instinct. Because it is your willpower that is now going to help you stay on track and get there. But again, don't misunderstand that to mean the process will now be easy. It will still be work, it's just now you've also got a lot more working for you. There's this perception that what it means to have willpower is that it's easy to do things and that it shouldn't be uncomfortable, that it shouldn't be hard, that we shouldn't experience setbacks. And the fact is, is that you know, willpower is an instinct we have to help us make good choices when it is difficult, it is painful, it's scary when other people around us are making a different choice. That's why we have the willpower instinct. The instinct is actually to help our brains remember what we care about most, to create a, a state in your body that actually slows you down a little bit so that you don't rush into impulsive choices or into habits. You know, there's a whole biology that I call the willpower instinct that is there to help you make a good choice when things are hard. And so when people say the reason I can't make a change is because I lack willpower, and many times it's because what they're thinking is what willpower means is I'm going to look at that donut and it's like I don't want that donut. No, no issues here. Or when the alarm goes off, you know, they should just be springing out of bed full of enthusiasm for whatever it is they said they were going to do. Um, and that's really not the case. Think of it this way. Achieving your goals, reaching your resolutions, it's like rolling a 300-pound rock down a long, flat road. It takes work. But as those resolutions become less aligned with your values, that road becomes less flat. And suddenly you're trying to roll a 300-pound rock uphill. And that is a lot more work. And last I checked, January was named after Janus, not Sisyphus. So a lot of conversations out there about willpower are trying to help you find ways to push that 300-pound rock uphill. With Kelly's definition, we're suggesting you start by leveling the playing field. By simply aligning your resolutions with your values, you can help increase your chances for success. Okay, so let's say you've done that. You're clear on what matters to you and why you want to achieve the goals, resolutions, and or changes that you put forth. Well, now what? 
Well, if willpower is the number one thing that people believe prevents them from making a change, then it might also be the number one thing that enables them to make a change. And if that's the case, we want our willpower to be strong. So how do you strengthen a muscle, even a metaphysical one like willpower? Well, <laughs> you gotta get physical. One of my mantras is the mind is in the whole body. Your mind is not just in your skull. Um, and I think that's really important to remember, even if you're a neuroscientist, that your ability to, say, resist temptation depends not just on what's happening in your brain, but it seems to depend on things like your heart rate and the degree to which your heart rate synchronizes with your breathing and the way that your autonomic nervous system is balanced or imbalanced. Um, that all of these things are creating a sort of a state of embodied readiness to either slow down, pause, make a better choice, or on the other hand, you could be in a physiological state that basically primes you to do what's easiest, to do whatever your first impulse is or whatever your sort of default response is. As Kelly succinctly writes in The Willpower Instinct, science is discovering that self-control is a matter of physiology, not just psychology. And this connects to something Tony Robbins often says, motion creates emotion. And so when it comes to training willpower, there's a, a lot of cool strategies that have to do with thinking, well, what is this body state that seems to support being able to remember your goals and make a choice that's consistent with your values, not with your first impulse or your, your sort of most uh, ingrained habit? In a 2006 study entitled Longitudinal Gains in Self-Regulation from Regular Physical Exercise, Australian scientists Megan Oten and Ken Chang assigned a group of volunteers to a simple two-month program. At the end of two months, participants who had stuck with the program showed higher improvements in self-control tests than participants who were not assigned to the program. That alone validated their hypothesis. However, there was more. Subjects also reported smoking less, reducing their alcohol and caffeine intakes, eating healthier food, less junk food, saving money, spending less impulsively, watching less TV, studying more, procrastinating less, and being on time more often for appointments. Even though no one had asked them to work on or change any of those things. And so you may be wondering, what is this almost supernatural cure? A drug? An ankle bracelet that shocks you. Whoops, <laughs> sorry about that. No, the answer, this magical cure for lack of willpower is, drum roll please, physical exercise. The participants, none of whom had exercised regularly before, were given a gym membership and encouraged to use it. That's it. Wait a second, Brett. I know what you're going to say, Nick. So you're telling me that in order to have more willpower to exercise, first, I have to exercise, which of course is why I need willpower in the first place. Yes. Look, look, you, I, and even Kelly in our conversation all get that it's a bit of a chicken and egg dilemma, but I'm going to ask you to just stay with the idea here and let me finish, okay? Mmm, eggs. First off, let's really understand the value of what the research is telling us. In Oten and Chang's study, 
Regularly exercising willpower through physical exercise seemed to lead participants to stronger willpower in nearly all other areas of their lives. In 2015, a research team led by Larissa Letachowski of the University of Innsbruck published a study that showed the impact of physical exercise on self-control is immediate. That after just 15 minutes on a treadmill, participants' cravings for sugary foods were cut in half. And in the long term, exercise has been shown to have a positive effect on mood, enhance the biology of self-control, and even make your brain bigger and faster. I'm bigger and I'm faster. I will always beat you. There's a great anecdote in The Willpower Instinct about a 54-year-old restaurateur named Antonio. Antonio had high blood pressure and cholesterol, and he was gaining weight every year. His doctor warned him that if he didn't do something about his health, he was likely to have a heart attack. So Antonio got a treadmill for his home office. But like many treadmills out there, it went unused. To Antonio, exercise wasn't fun. It wasn't productive. And he didn't like someone else telling him what he should do. So since the activity didn't line up with his belief, he didn't do it. Surprise, surprise, surprise. But when Antonio heard this idea that exercise could increase your brain power and willpower, his interest started to bubble up. See, he was a competitive guy. And suddenly he saw exercise as a secret weapon, something to keep him at the top of his game. Suddenly, exercise lined up with what mattered to him. And so he turned his treadmill into a willpower-generating machine by taping a label over the calorie tracker that just said, willpower. Willpower. And he started running on that treadmill every morning, believing that he was filling up his willpower tank to take on any and all challenges that the day would bring. I will not be, be outworked, right. period. And so to go back to the point Nick brought up, yes, Strengthening your willpower will take work. We said that at the top of the show. And it won't be easy at first. But if you really want it, you'll find a way. A way to make that initial work line up with your values like Antonio did. Because if you can muster up enough willpower to get on the treadmill that first time, to put your body in motion, well, then you start a process of creating self-generated willpower. Now, in addition to overall physical exercise and health, there are some specific mental workouts, if you will, that can help you increase your willpower. Three of them that Kelly mentioned in her book are, one, strengthening your I won't power, which is committing to not do something that you currently do by habit. Two, strengthening your I will power, which is committing to do something every day that you currently are not for the practice of building a habit. And three, strengthening your self-monitoring, which is to formally keep track of something you don't usually pay close attention to. This could be spending, how much time you spend online, or what you eat, for example. So you're talking about research that asks people to flex their, their sort of paying attention muscle to override immediate impulses. So one is use your non-dominant hand. One is to not use contractions. So I would not be able to say that I wouldn't use contractions. Uh, and another um, one that's often instructed is to not swear. And in all of those cases, and this is, that's not just that study, that's a, a finding that's been replicated, that when you ask people 
to start to pay attention to something they don't normally pay attention to, and one that requires overriding automatic impulses, that you seem to teach people how to be in that state where they are paying attention to what they're thinking and feeling what they're about to do, and they are training the process of remembering what they committed to, what their intention is, or what their goals are. I remember first learning the value of this practice for myself about 12 years ago. I was part of a team of 20 people put together for a 90-day goal achievement and leadership program. Now, one of the aspects of the game, as we called it, was something called BCTs, which stood for but, can't, and try. And during those 90 days, we committed to not saying those words. No but, no can't, no try. And if we did, we paid a price, literally. Each time you said but or try, it was $2, and can't was $5. Don't worry, the money went to a good cause. Anyway, I ended up forking out about $1,500 in those 90 days, but, uh, or I mean, and it was worth it. Because what I realized by the end was that it was not about those specific words. It was about forcing me to be conscious of everything that came out of my mouth and in turn be conscious and present in general. Because every time I went into autopilot, it cost me about 20 bucks. And I can still think back on those 90 days as perhaps the most present I've been for any extended length of time in my entire life. And in addition to that, I was productive, connected, confident, caring, and I followed through on all four of my goals. Okay, so let's say you've got the resolutions, the goals, they're in alignment, and you're working on your willpower muscle every day, and it's getting stronger. But anything worth having usually comes with some challenges, and studies have shown that the better you can predict obstacles, the better you can tackle them. And one of the biggest obstacles you're going to face is progress. What? <laughs> here. Yes, you heard that correctly. One of your biggest obstacles to success will be progress. You see, in the short term, making something into a game, it really works well for people. You make a to-do list in the morning of five things, you check them all off, and you high-five yourself at night. You say you're only going to watch six hours of Netflix this week, you tally each hour, you fight your urges, and you win the week. But when we are talking about bigger goals, resolutions, long-term changes, this practice can prove harmful. The problem is that people seem to forget why they actually wanted to make the change in the first place when you start to, uh, to layer on the ability to just cross things off a list or to, to compete with yourself. And the goal becomes to just sort of make that kind of progress. And that leads to something that psychologists call moral licensing, which is, oh, wow, I made so much progress today. Uh, and it seems to wake up a desire to basically slack off or fulfill some competing goal. Like if I was really good in this way, the part of me who wants to be bad or wants to not work so hard is going to be given a turn to make some choices. In essence, moral licensing is about using something good to justify something bad, often 
without even realizing it. For example, let's say my goal is to lose 20 pounds, and I lose 2 pounds. So I post on social media, look, I've lost 2 pounds, and everyone is like, woohoo, you lost 2 pounds, you're amazing, way to go Brett, fantastic. And then I revel in how amazing I am, and I go drink a couple of beers to celebrate losing 2 pounds. You're gonna do it, right on, woohoo. Now I do understand the desire to track progress and tangible wins to relish in the success you've had, especially if your resolution is something ongoing like being in shape, spending more quality time with loved ones, or eating healthy. It's kind of like our experience episode where Bassam Tarazi talked about making third gear sexy. Because I'm sexy and chubby, man. In first gear, things are exciting. You know, it's when you're first going after something and everyone's like, yeah, yeah. And then fifth gear is awesome, where you're going full steam and you're winning and everyone is like, yeah, yeah. But third gear? Third gear is your average Wednesday at 1 p.m. when you're ordering a salad. You're not posting it on Instagram. No one is seeing it or congratulating you. It's just you and the commitment you made to your health and yourself. And I told Kelly in our interview that I think it's hard for a lot of people at times, including me. And we can find ourselves on that average Wednesday thinking, okay, so I'll be a success because I'll be healthy every day for the next 15 to 20 years. But when's the party? You have to find the identity that matters to you. And again, that's going to be different for different people and at different times in your life that it's not just about you know, the idea that when's the party, it's almost like you're saying, when do I get rewarded for doing all this stuff that I don't want to do? And it, it comes back to our initial definition of willpower. When's the party? The party is, are you spending you know, every moment of the day that you can investing your energy and attention in the roles and relationships and goals that matter to you? And that, what, what could be a better party than that? As opposed to thinking that, you know, this is all miserable now, but someday someone's going to give me a medal for it. Or someday I'll get to cut loose and do the things that really provide me with pleasure and meaning. And so to keep your willpower firing on all cylinders, you need to stop focusing on the progress you've made toward your goal and focus on your commitment to achieving it and why it matters to you. And when you reach your resolution, celebrate your values, not the destination. Celebrate who you are and celebrate that every day. Do not check it off the list. Because if you do, it will just fall by the wayside again. And one day you'll probably find yourself practically back where you started. So that's the process of willpower. Start with your values. Leverage your physiology for state. Strengthen the muscle through practice. And don't let progress derail you from your commitment. But there's one more element that we haven't spoken about, and it might surprise you. That perhaps the most powerful thing you can do to increase your willpower is this. Stop being so hard on yourself. Now, some of you might be saying, I have to be hard on myself, otherwise I'll never get anything done. Well, the compassionate news is, you're not alone. But the news flashes, you're wrong. 
As Kelly adamantly confirms in her book, quote, study after study shows that self-criticism is consistently associated with less motivation and worse self-control, unquote. When you beat yourself up and try to use guilt as motivation, your brain's fight or flight response kicks in and wants to protect your mood. Therefore, you start craving something that will make you happy. And what's on the happy menu? Eating, drinking, shopping, sex, surfing the web, Netflix, playing video games, oh, you know, the very things you probably feel guilty about doing in the first place. Psychologists Janet Polivy and C. Peter Herman coined this as the what the hell effect, a cycle of indulgence, regret, and then greater indulgence. And so perhaps the greatest piece of advice we can give you today around willpower is this. And I quote one last time from the willpower instinct. Surprisingly, it's forgiveness, not guilt, that increases accountability. Researchers have found that taking a self-compassionate point of view on personal failure makes people more likely to take personal responsibility for the failure. And they are more willing to receive feedback and advice from others and more likely to learn from the experience. You see, without the bad feeling, there's nothing to feel bad about. Which not only removes your brain's desire to drown that feeling in pleasure, it also puts you in a much more powerful mental and emotional place to reflect on what's happened, course correct it, and try again. It's self-compassion, which is understanding that whatever you're going through, it doesn't, it doesn't say why you're weak as a human being, why you're flawed, why you'll never change. It's basically revealing the fundamental truth about human nature, which is that we have these competing instincts. And there's a reason why when you have to do something difficult, there's a part of you who wants to keep you safe and do what's easiest. Or when you're in an environment that's promising you immediate gratification, there's a reason part of you might want that pleasure or, or want to fit in or sort of whatever makes us give into sometimes self-destructive behaviors. And then the last thing I, I say is, is critically important is to also look outside yourself and understand that, that what you're dealing with, again, is part of common humanity rather than um, sort of what's uniquely wrong or flawed with you. And they all feed into each other. And a lot of people, when they experience their first setback or, you know, let's say it's January 3rd and they've already crumpled under the weight of their New Year's resolutions, um, they will start to make projections onto themselves about what that means. I'll never make this change. I have no willpower. What's the point in trying? Um, and I think that that's the most dangerous part of that is it encourages us to give up on thinking about what we care about. You know, we're so motivated not to feel like failures that when something is deeply meaningful and it's hard and we experience a setback, our first instinct is often to say, well, I never really cared about that in the first place. And, and we give up on ourselves and our goals because we don't want to handle that discomfort of, I failed at something that's really important to me. And what's interesting is, you know, one of the keys of self-compassion or self-forgiveness is to let yourself remember that you care and to find some part of you that's like an inner mentor that, that understands that the process of change involves setbacks and failures and that the bigger picture is 
a year from now, a month from now, 10 years from now, there's going to be a different story about what this moment meant. And that this moment could have been one of those moments where you reconnect to your goals and to your self-trust and give yourself permission to try again. Both Nick and I want to send out a huge heartfelt thanks to Kelly McGonigal for her contributions to this episode. Not only was it a fantastic interview, but her book, The Willpower Instinct, also strongly guided this episode. If you are interested in willpower, I cannot encourage you enough to pick up a copy of her book. The amount of value and information that Kelly provides is incredible, and we barely scratched the surface with her today. Also, Kelly is very active on Twitter, so if you want to stay connected to her and all she is up to, which I suggest, follow her there. She is Kelly McGonigal. That is K-E-L-L-Y-M-C-G-O-N-I-G-A-L. Hey, Brett. Hey, Nick. So, uh, rumor has it on the street that you want to introduce a new segment for the show. The rumors are true, Nick. Yeah, everyone's talking about it. <laughs> Everyone is talking about it. <laughs> well, why don't you tell why don't you tell the audience about it? All right. So um, we are going to introduce a new segment. Now, Nick, you know, you know, we have amazing listeners, right? Yes. And you and I frequently, I think, are struck with just how intelligent, creative, dynamic they are. So many of them are up to amazing things, whether that's, you know, in creative endeavors or business or whatever it might be. And because our listeners are so good to us and are often spreading the word about, you know, where there's smoke, we wanted to do the same for them. So this segment is called WTS Bumps. All right. Bumps. Bumps, right? Now, people might, what? So on social media, bump is an acronym, right? It stands for bring up my post. And it's really come to me. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> is, that, is that true? That's true. Yeah. That sounds like something they put on after. Because a bump, people have been talking about bumps a long time. But anyway, well, I digress, bro. Okay, you know, honestly, I don't know if the acronym came first, but I know that it is an acronym and people say it stands for bring up my post. But what I think about a bump on social media, it's much more than just bringing up your post. It's really anytime you're given anything extra visibility, right? If you retweet it or you, whatever you do, right? So you're kind of giving it a bump. You're, you're raising the visibility of it. And then in addition, you know, some of our listeners know that you and I fist bump after we complete each episode. You know, more often than not, it is a digital fist bump. It is a virtual fist bump, yeah. But the bump is kind of our way of saying, hey, man, like, great work. Nice job, right? Mm -hmm. So this segment is a chance for us from time to time to give one of our listeners a bump, basically raise the visibility of whatever they're doing and and basically just say to them, hey, good work. All right, let's do it. Yeah, so WTS bump. So I'm going to kind of stay in the New Year's resolution theme here for week one. Um, A lot of people are coming into the new year. They've got goals, resolutions. Probably as many people out there that one of their goals has to do with something to do with writing, maybe a blog, maybe keeping a journal, maybe just writing more, maybe even writing a book. And so I want to give a bump to a podcast called Writing Class Radio. And the host is one of our listeners, Andrea Askowitz, and she teaches an actual writing class in Miami. And through the podcast, you basically get to be in it. I mean, it's not just a recording of the class, but she brings in some of her students. And it's it's mm. literally like being in a writing class. And anyone who has worked at being great at writing knows that the key to great writing is number one, you got to write, 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 write a lot. And two, you got to put some sort of structure around it. You've got to force yourself to write deadlines, assignments, accountability. And taking a writing class is a great way to do that. 
the great thing about this podcast is you get all that and it's free and you can do nice. it anywhere. And it's really good, Nick. I was really impressed when I gave it a listen. And so I'm giving a, a WTS bump to Writing Class Radio Podcast, and I'm encouraging all writers and aspiring writers who are listening to enroll yourself in the class by basically downloading episode one and, and see where you go from there. All right. Sounds great. Now it is time for everyone's favorite. Now the old yeah. standby. Now, 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 now we're actually <laughs> t- kind of taking a shot at WTS bumps by saying this is everyone's favorite segment, right? Well, it's true. Yeah, it's true. We don't know that. So we'll find out. We'll find out. But we'll of, find course, out. of course, I'm talking about WTS digs. And this is the part of the show where we talk about things that we really like and inspire us and we want to share with you. That's the short way of saying it. That is. So, Brett, what are you digging this week? All right. Well, I'm going to keep it short and sweet, Nick. What I'm digging this week is, I guess it's an app, though it doesn't really operate as an app. It operates as a website. Uh, But it's called Focus at Will. And it's just focusatwill.com. And basically what it is, is it is a service that's online where I can... So I do a lot of writing, obviously, for the show. I'm doing a lot of work on the show. And for me, when I'm writing, I can't be hearing lyrics, right? It's it's different if, if you're editing or doing other things, maybe. But for me, I can't be hearing lyrics. Well, I so, can't hear anything while I'm editing. <laughs> okay. Well, they, well, there you go. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but like when I... You know, there's a lot of stuff... Other stuff I might... If I'm, if I'm cleaning the kitchen or I'm doing... I can listen to music. But if I'm writing... I need to not have lyrics. And what Focus at Will is, is it's basically this service where I can listen to all kinds of different instrumental music. I can pick different themes. Um, I can pick different speeds. I can change the speed, speed it up, speed it down. And I use it constantly. So whenever I'm writing, especially when I need to get in the zone, I just you know, put folksatwill.com. I pick a type of music. I pick a theme. The other thing you can do is you can put a timer on it. So people out there who kind of know the, the Pomodoro effect, which is working for 25 minutes, taking a five minute break. So I'll set a 25 minute timer and I've got music in my ears. that says, I'm just writing until that beep goes. And then when the beep goes, you know, the music stops, I take a five minute break and then I restart. So it's an awesome app. <laughs> I've been using it for a couple of years, but it's really been a huge benefit to me with where there's smoke, especially when we're, you know, crunching under deadlines and I need to just kind of get in the zone. So, focusatwill.com is uh, is my dig. So what about you? What are you digging, then? Well, I've got two really, really short digs. Uh, the first one is, and for listeners of the show, last week you heard that we did a replay of our process episode, um, which is a favorite of, of mine. I think it's yours, too, because yep. you get to hear kind of what we go through. And what I'm digging this week, Brett, is that listeners of the show, we're done with this episode on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> this is really exciting so we did it we're, we're like over 24 hours ahead of, ahead of schedule this is great so i'm digging that and then the other thing i'm digging and we actually cut it from an earlier episode is uh my favorite podcast is a show called hollywood handbook and it's not for everybody i, I acknowledge that but if you are into comedy podcast improv podcasts you know like your comedy bang bangs or your spontaneous nations or your uh, with special guests with Lauren Lapkus, any of those, this is a show that sort of has created this really interesting universe, and it's hosted by two people who claim to be Hollywood elite, but really just two comedy writers. And it's this sort of satire about a, a Hollywood culture that, and, and a popular culture that sort of rewards people for being grandiose and for knowing everything and arrogant. And if you start at the beginning and sort of work your way through, uh, it, it definitely sort of goes through and grows and grows and grows, and it's really, really interesting. So it is my like first listen of the week. It comes out on Tuesdays, after Where There's Smoke, of course, uh, and it's called Hollywood Handbook. So check it out. Cool. Right on. And as always, we are always curious to know what you're digging. So uh, reach out to us on Twitter, at ExploreWTS. Let us know what you're digging, and uh, we'll, we'll spread the word as well. And uh, with that, uh, we will bid you farewell. Thanks.
First off, huge thanks to everyone who supported the show through Patreon in the past few weeks. You are helping us make this happen in 2006. And the WTS Explorer Club has two new members, Rob Balaam and Zena Aris Sutton. If you want to help us keep this going in 2016, please go to supportwts.com and give what feels right for you. All right, so let's shout, shout, let it all out. iTunes reviews. We received some fantastic words of praise from Ian Harbour, Henry Azur, Steiner91, and Grahunt from Spain. The Vegan Roadie said, we are nailing it on every level. Wake Up or wrote, most podcasts of any type that I've listened to are hit or miss, but where there's smoke absolutely rocks every time. DNC Man 101 shared, the host and producer of this podcast, both do a stellar job of creating a gripping environment to teach awesome and helpful lessons. M. Schwartz called WTS the podcast of the year. And where is Zach said, I can see you guys doing live shows and blowing all our minds in person. Well, FYI, where is Zach? Live shows are coming in 2016. So shoot an email or tweet and let us know where you live and perhaps we'll come your way. If you dig where there's smoke and have not reviewed it on iTunes, please, please, please consider heading over there and doing that. Each written review helps to boost our visibility in iTunes and help new people find the show. The Tambor website started a four-part series last week called That Episode When, which is sharing impactful podcast episodes from 2015. There's some great podcasts there for you to discover in those lists. You'll see some of my suggestions as well, and WTS even got some love. So check those out at thetambor.com. That's T-H-E. T-I-M-B-R-E.com. It's been a few weeks since we've done this and many people have created great conversations about where there's smoke on Twitter. Let's see how many I can get in here. Rob Balaam, EJ Sweetly, at Erica Newport, at Ditch Adulthood, Stacey Wellborn, at Dependent underscore Nick, at Lucky Treehouse, Jenna LeBlanc, at Things LKE Likes, at JDRKX, Austin Beltzer, and Ryan Castle. Big ups to all. You can follow Where There's Smoke on Twitter. We are at Explore WTS, and you can also join our Facebook page. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Hey, Nick, what other musical artists were featured in this week's show? This week we have music from Blue Dot Sessions, Broke for Free, Jazar, Paddington Bear, Kai Engel, Mascaras, Lee Rosavere, Giochino Rossini, Olivia Newton-John, and Kevin McLeod. Where There's Smoke is a line, created, exercised, chosen, derailed, chosen again, re-railed, pushed, validated, monitored, messed up, forgiven, willed, and resolved by me, Brett Gaida, and Nick Jaworski. You got feedback for us or the show, please email us at connect at wherethersmoke.co. And if you're interested in having me come in and speak, train, or coach at an event or within your company, send an email to brett at wherethersmoke.co. And if you want Nick to help you make your podcast sound awesome, check out podcastmonster.com. If you want to get on our newsletter and stay in the loop on all things Where There's Smoke, join our mailing list. By phone, you can text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website, wherethersmoke.co. And while you're there, you can also leave us a voicemail. Feedback, ideas for future shows, encouragement, an audition for our upcoming musical episode, whatever. And finally, in those days when moving toward your resolution is hard, remember the old English proverb that says, where there's a will, there's a feral. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week.